How are you doing, by the way? I have to uh, go to the uh, the Dash conference in Detroit next Wednesday and Thursday. The Dash conference is a um, a whole bunch of people getting together, uh, car manufacturers, consumer electronics people, radio people. They're getting together to talk about the future of the connected car for two days. So I'm uh, that should be rather interesting. I'll have a lot to talk about when it comes to that. And then as soon as I get, get back from that, I have to fly to L.A. to see my friend William Shatner perform his prog rock record. Oh, yes, with uh, the band Yes, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you wouldn't say yes. <laughs> I'm not going into a who's on first thing. Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. What goes up must come down, including our excitement about the new Sandra Bullock flick, Gravity. Same as it ever was, as a futurist, David Byrne of the Talking Heads makes a great musician. Size matters. We'll find out from the man behind those cord-free earbuds and why his half-million-dollar Kickstarter project won't talk to your smartphone. And Root Mean Squared Explained, and our last entry in the Best Concert Story Ever contest. Plus, why gum chewed by Gene Simmons of Kiss is worth a quarter million dollars, and how to teach your kids about the history of rock and roll. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Uh, with the wife uh, Gravity last night. Oh, you saw Gravity. I did. Too? Yes, I am. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson didn't like it either. No, he didn't, and he didn't like it for good reason. There's a whole bunch of things in it that are that are terribly wrong and very disappointing. I mean, it's a it's an okay movie, but if you're a space nerd or even close to being a space nerd, you will be very disappointed in it. Well, the ultimate space nerd is Tyson, and he went to the Intertron to uh, tweet all night, yeah, about the scientific inaccuracy. Well, I'll just give you two words: uh, orbital mechanics N- doesn't work. Doesn't work. Uh, Sandra Bullock's backstory doesn't work. Then the whole issue of uh, reentry trajectory doesn't work. I'll just leave it at that. And I, you know what? We went. We did go to see it in um, um, 3D, which was interesting. Although my wife uh, almost hurled because she's not very good with the 3D effects. And we sat in something called these D box seats, which vibrate and kind of move with the images on the screen, which was. Okay, but probably wasn't worth the extra 10 bucks per seat. But what they did have in this theater is a new Dolby um, sound projector system called Atmos, which instead of, you know, we had stereo, then we had 5.1, and then we had 7.1, and so on. Uh, this is uh, a, a lot different. They use sound projectors that, I guess, focus the sound a lot more accurately in, in theater. So you get a better sense of where sound is is coming from. Uh, This probably would have worked a whole lot better, though, in a film where 
that wasn't set in space where no one can hear anything. And the director wisely, for most the most part, uh, kept it quite silent. Well, we were talking about that, about one thing that was really nice about this film was that they didn't have explosions and lots of noises in space, because there wouldn't be. Uh, so I suppose it's kind of funny that uh, Tyson tweeted under uh, the uh, title Mysteries of Gravity a whole slew of things that were wrong with it, including the fact that satellite communications were disrupted at 230 miles up, but communication satellites actually orbit 100 times higher than that. And under Mysteries of Gravity, he also adds, astronaut Clooney informs medical Dr. Bullock what happens medically during oxygen deprivation. The dialogue uh, was, was, was really quite, quite weak. I mean, a great premise, but uh, I think I saw this movie once. It was called Marooned, and it was released back in 19... God, 1972, 73? Iron Man, this is Houston. Iron Man, this is Houston. Do you read? Go, Houston. Do you affirm retrofire? Negative. Say again. I said we had negative retrofire. And if that big baby doesn't fire this time, they're not coming back. Dr. Charles Keith, Chief of Man's Space. Well, there's a rumor the men are already dead. Not true. Mr. Henry, Mr. Henry. What happens if you can't get the engine to retrofire? We're prepared for every contingency, Mr. Henry. All of the resources of the NASA and our industrial contractors are being used to the fullest. Look, I I don't want to just lay here and die. I... I think Saturday Night Live, though, summed it up best. Astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson harshly criticized the hit movie Gravity this week, saying that it contained a number of major scientific inaccuracies. For example, there's no way George Clooney would spend that much time talking to a woman his own age. No. Yes, that's true. That's true. Although, I gotta say, Sandra Bullock looked pretty good. Does she whine her way through the whole film like she does in every other? No, 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 no. Not all of it. I like the fact that there was a female lead, and there's one scene where she takes off her spacesuit that's uh, rather erotic. But anyway. David Byrne, a great musician, terrible futurist. He doesn't seem to like uh, anything that's happening with the internet. Him and Tom York the, uh, over the last week have, have both gone to town on things like Spotify and the role of the internet in creativity and specifically music, and neither one of them seem to really like it. I don't know. You can take that with a grain of salt. I can understand their positions, given that they're musicians who have made their money and their reputation the old-fashioned way. Their careers are based on people handing over money for pieces of plastic, and they, along with guys like uh, David Lowry of Cracker and the Tricordis, which is a very good blog, uh, see all kinds of problems with music and the Internet. But, I mean, we're moving forward, and let's just find ways to deal with this, right? In paleofuture.com, they point out that in 1987, uh, the January issue of Omni magazine included a cover story titled The 14 Great Minds Predict the Future, and among them, David Byrne was there. And uh, he had written that, I don't think computers will have any important effect on the arts in 2007, because he was gazing into his crystal ball to look ahead. And he writes, when it comes to the arts, they're just big or small adding machines. If they can't think, that's all they'll ever be. They may help creative people with their bookkeeping, but it won't help in the creative process. Yeah, and we won't need more than 640 kilobytes of memory. That'll be enough for everybody. <laughs> that's what Bill Gates was infamously reported to have said. Yeah, I mean, in 87, when he was saying this, we had already got the um, the Apple Macintosh, which musicians were using, beginning to use as composing tools. 
we already had samplers. We were already sampling music and using computers to edit things together electronically as opposed to editing tape. So, I mean, he should have seen this coming. I'm going to step out on a limb here and predict that in the future, we are not going to see those split headphones we talked about last week. Oh, I, I don't think so. But why? Well, because I'm looking at the Kickstarter project here, and they've got 398 backers. They're looking for $435,000. They've got 17 days to go, and they've only collected fifty-six grand. Hmm, that's a long way to go. And again, they're not so much headphones as they are music players, are they? Yeah, they stick in your ear. There are no cords associated with them. Uh, as a matter of fact, we managed to track down the man behind it, Dr. Marco Scandura, and he joins us now. Doctor, good to have you with us. My pleasure. First of all, Doctor, um, I'm looking at uh, the the Kickstarter program here. I'm worried that you're not going to get the cash that you need. How, how are you going to pull this off? It's challenging. Uh, you are right. There is a, a sort of um, difficulty here because most of the people that listen to music, uh, portable music, do it through their cell phones. And so we received a lot of uh, feedback, a lot of uh, messages from uh, users interested in our earphones but asking for connectivity to the cell phone and uh, obviously this is not possible with our current product. Uh, The reason is simply that there is no technology for uh, shrinking a a Bluetooth earphone in such a small uh, form factor. Maybe we didn't make it so that well clear in the campaign that uh, it wasn't just a um, strategic choice, but this is actually the the best that technology allows you to do today. And so we still think that this product has uh, value, adds value, and uh, it's innovative. And so we don't expect to be the right product for everyone, but sure, there is a, a base of, of users that are interested in being completely cord and cable free. Well, I can see it working because I do a lot of uh, jogging and I hate having those cords always bouncing against my chest, my face, my chin. And I would like to be completely cord free. And this isn't really a whole lot different than, uh, let's call it an iPod shuffle that um, is completely devoid of any cords. Yes, exactly. So it, it, we, we, Played with our prototypes, and I tell you, being completely uh, detached from any box clips or anything around you on your body, and not feeling that tension on your neck when you rotate it, it's just amazing. It gives you a, a really uh, pleasant feeling, and you're just able to listen to your music without distractions, without having to think about your touch screen or how you. Uh, change the next to the next track, increase volume. You don't need to focus on a little box, uh, bend your neck down to, to change something, to press a button. You just keep, you keep your head up and keep doing what you're doing. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful sensation. And that's what, what uh, make us, made us believe that uh, this device could have a success on the market. I really wish people could have it in their hands and try it and see the difference. Well, it's fascinating to see that you've got it figured out such that 
you stick them in your ears and you use your jaw to figure out whether or not you want the next track or turn the volume up or down just by biting down. Alan brought up an interesting point, though, last week. Um, Are you going to sell them individually as well as in pairs? Because it's inevitable that I'm going to lose one of these at one point if it doesn't have a cord that keeps it from falling into the sewer as I ride past. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, We received, in fact, uh, a lot of messages requesting if we're going to sell them individually. We think that uh, a good approach to that is to have a plan, either a small insurance fee that allows you to repurchase uh, the missing one for a lower cost, or simply provide a, a replacement at a lower cost. Do you need the Kickstarter project to be successful for you to be able to put this into production, or do you have alternative sources of revenue? So far, we have been privately uh, sponsored. We were really hoping from, uh, for some uh, significant backing from Kickstarter, not just uh, a few thousand dollars. If we're not going to be successful with the campaign, we're going to look for um, private investors. Uh, we have received a few, uh, a few inquiries of people that are willing to, to join the, the team or to back it, and so we're talking. To, to people, not only in the U.S., but worldwide. Very cool. Um, I had no idea that it was so difficult to miniaturize the uh, Bluetooth radio, but then I think about all the other Bluetooth headphones I've seen, and they've all been big, bulky, over-the-ear things. Yeah, there is not just a problem of size. Uh, there is a problem of power consumption. Bluetooth you know, requires a 3.3 volts minimum to operate. We work at 1.8 volts, so we are much lower with the power consumption, and we can use a tiny battery that is used in hearing aids. Uh, you cannot do it with a Bluetooth headset. They use a, a lithium, large, relatively large size battery. So they use one, one earpiece to, to, to hold the battery and the other to store all the electronic circuitry. We cannot do anything of that like that. Doctor, good to have you with us. All the best to you, sir. Thank you very, very much. Good luck. Thank you. Well, that was instructive. That certainly explains a few things, doesn't it? It sure does. Mm. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. This is a GNB News Update. All right, so we had uh, one additional entry in the Supertooth Disco Sound Bar Contest. Is this Bruce from Thompson, Manitoba? This is Bruce from Thompson, Manitoba. Now, I'll play you his uh, story, but it sounds like it's been redacted by the NSA. Ooh. I'm calling with the best concert story ever. My story is a McCartney-based story that you had on a week ago, but it's a lot more Canadian in my mind. Uh, it was the mid to... Time still are the Watchmen, and they were going pretty good at the time. They were, uh, they were one of the best. And... I'm guessing it was sort of a fill-in between two bigger shows. We didn't even think it was true, but a buddy of mine phoned me up and said, you got to come down here. So we drove four hours from Killarney, 
got there just in time for the show, and sure enough, there were our guys in a sweaty little bar. The next thing we knew, we were basically standing up on stage with them. It was just fantastic. Calling out, had some input on the set list, which is everybody's dream when they show up at a, at a big show like that. Partway through the show, the, the highlight of the thing, I think, was... Uh, <laughs> who's the lead singer, may have uh, had one too many cocktails and basically misstepped and fell off the stage. The crowd caught him, of course, popped him back up on stage. He didn't even miss a beat. It was fantastic. It was one of those holy cow moments that, uh, that you'll never forget. So, uh, top marks to you guys for having Sammy on the... When I left the show, it was one of those ones that was so awesome, you didn't realize what was going on, and it felt like someone was crushing glass in my ears. I guess the, the sound man in typical fashion had it cranked up a little too much at the bar in Weyburn. Anyways, guys, that's my best concert story ever. It's, uh, it's kind of Canadian and kind of humble, but uh, I thought it was pretty cool. We had a lot of fun. Thanks. Well, there you go. Yeah, humble, very Canadian, very prairie, and yeah, okay, good for him. Uh, so yeah, so now you know what I mean by redacted by the NSA. Apparently that story was so good, it was illegal to tell it. <laughs> now. So what are our, what, where, where do we go from here? Well, because that was only one, uh, and there were no others this week, I think what we'll do is we'll take the two from the previous week who did not advance to the lightning round. And uh, we'll decide amongst the three in total uh, who deserves to move on to ultimately get um, onto the leaderboard for voting. That's Bruce from Thompson, Manitoba. Previously, we had Alex Lofthouse uh, from Toronto uh, on that stray cat security problem where the guy did the, uh, the dive into the audience and it parted like the Red Sea. And then Paul Allen from Winslow PEI and uh, Q93 who took a photo of Joe Perry's... Hmm. Okay, so those are our three... Those are our three. Who gets to advance? Got to go with the junk photo. Sorry, Bruce. Yeah, sorry, Alex. Okay, so now what you need to do is go to geeksandbeats.com and vote on one of these three. We are going to uh, be complete link baiters and say that you can vote as many times as you want, so long as it's no more than once a day. And you have ways of policing that? I do. Okay, then that's fine. All right. So if you go to the website now, geeksandbeats.com, and uh, vote, you can do so as many as uh, once a day. That didn't sound grammatically correct at all, did it? No. As much as once a day. Uh, and get your friends involved. All we're trying to do is whore out the website so that you will go to it and encourage your friends to do so, and maybe they'll actually listen to the big show, too. Yes, please. We can certainly use uh, all the help we can possibly get. This is a labor of love for us. We're not being paid for it. We... Uh, Simply do it because we think it's the right thing to do. And the more people that listen, the better we'll feel about ourselves. Clearly, I didn't have a lot of friends in high school. Neither did I. Zach Scott is our most recent co-producer on The Big Show. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate it. Zach is five years old. That's right. Thank you, Zach. Darren is uh, the one who uh, coughed up the 25 bucks so that Zach can have his first entry on his resume. Well, I'm sure it'll hold him in good stead when he finally gets that first part-time job at age 12 or whatever. Meantime, we had Root Mean Squared explained to us by GNB listener Mark Wilson. Yeah, this is, uh, you wanted to know what RMS meant in terms of wattage when it was attached to a stereo system. Like the eight RMS watts that you get out of this Super Tooth Disco that we're giving away. Right. And according to Mr. Wilson, he points out it's a very good standardized way of comparing the power output of one amplifier to another in a manner that is consistent with normal hearing. He says Root Mean Squared is a mathematical formula that calculates the square root of the mean value of the squared values of the varying instantaneous power levels in the signal. That's right. I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) 
That explains everything. Right. He points out that some manufacturers would quote peak power in their advertisements because that number was always larger and you need that surge of power for a symbol crash or some other loud transient in the audio, but the amplifier can't sustain that level of output and that's why we use RMS instead. That's right. Okay, good. So whenever you're buying an amplifier, look for the RMS figure and the higher the better. Oh, can I uh, update us on our lottery number picks? Update away. Okay, so uh, Alyssa, who is a synesthesiast, she sees numbers as colors. And she texted me the other day to say that uh, probably we shouldn't be calling her a synesthesiast for two reasons. One, we can almost not pronounce it. Yeah. And two, it, synesthetic is what she hears. Oh, okay, so she's a... Okay, that makes sense. Although that does sound artificial, doesn't it? it well, it sounds very Star Trek. Yeah, it does. Okay, so she's a synthetic. Synesthetic. Synesthetic. Okay. Um, I went to the uh, inconvenience store this morning, and of course it was closed. And so I have, <laughs> I have, I have no, no results on our 649 numbers that she uh, had picked for us. So Wait, Hang on. We got the internet on computers now. You can't just look it up? <laughs> I keep forgetting. Okay. So because she sees uh, numbers as colors, she had given us uh, a 649 number combination that was most visually pleasing to her, and we were hoping to use that as a means of getting filthy rich. Uh, yeah, okay. So I'm pulling out the ticket. Wow, you are old. Well, our numbers are 218, 24, 28, 33, 42, and the winning numbers are 7, 12, 20, 22, 26, 35. Uh, did I play Encore? Yes, I did. Not even close. There was a $40 million ticket sold in the GTA uh, on Saturday. Obviously, it's not us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Or we'd be doing the show from the south of France. Well, I tell you, the show would have ended just seconds ago as I read these things out. <laughs> All right, Alyssa. Wish us luck. Well, yeah. You're not helping. Cut the cord and go to geeksandbeats.com anytime. You'll get the latest episode and links to the stories the boys are talking about. Geeksandbeats.com. Also available on 8-Track and Cassette. You've got a book to plug. I did something last week uh, at the Indigo Books and Music Store in Toronto. It was an interview with Robbie Robertson of the band and Jim Guerno, his uh, manager and also the manager of guys like uh, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. Legends, Icons, and Rebels. And it's a coffee table book. 12 by 12, size of an album. And it is written for people between the ages of 9 and 12. Um, they wanted to give kids a grounding in all the music that made today's music possible. And if you go through this book, it's pretty fascinating because they talk about the Beatles and Elvis and Buddy Holly and all those. But they also talk about El, uh, Etta James and Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Jordan and Johnny Cash and Ray Charles and Bob Dylan. It's, it's a really good book where they take the stories of each of these artists, condense them down to just two pages. And then the idea is for the kid to read the book alone the kid and the parent to read the book together, or the kid and the parent to read the book separately and then discuss. The book also comes with a couple of CDs in the back, so not only can you read about these artists, the CDs are the uh, artists in order in the book. So it's a pretty cool way for parents to give their kid a, a broader music education. I had a fight with one guy at the 
um, at the event who said that, oh, this is the baby boomers imposing their musical taste on this generation. And I said, no, that's not the point. The point is that everything that happened today was built on the shoulders of those who came before. And this is a very good book for people between the ages of 9 and 12 to, uh, to discover and understand why today's music the way is the way it is. It's not going to appeal to every 9 to 12-year-old. They're going to want today's music, and they're not going to understand why dad's music is more interesting than theirs. But they are, 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 there's going to be a certain percentage of kids who, with this physical book, with these physical CDs, that are going to be able to uh, expand their musical horizons much more quickly and much more broadly if they had they just done it on their own. I think it's a really good book. Legends, Icons, and Rebels. It's published by Tundra Music out of Canada. It uh, runs about 30 bucks. It's a great Christmas present. Co-authored by Robbie Robertson. Thank goodness it wasn't co-authored by the Brothers Grimm because you could have a, a real dark, twisted version of this book if you're looking at the history of rock and roll through children's eyes. Yeah, it's it's Robbie wrote it with uh, also his, his son, Sebastian. And... Uh, they don't gloss over anything. I mean, when it comes to talking about Ray Charles and his uh, and his addictions, they mention it. Really? I, I don't know if that's appropriate for my seven-year-old daughter. Well, she, no, she's not nine, is she? Not yet. Nine to twelve. Ah. Uh-huh. So the idea again is is for for you to. I mean, they don't. They don't. They don't. They 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 treat the addiction as as as, uh, as a tragedy, as a problem, as an issue. Uh, it's not glamorized in any way, but it's not glossed over either, which I think is kind of cool. The songs that go unheard. Yeah, this is a fascinating story. Um, Spotify has been around for five years now. They've got about 20 million songs in their library, and uh, they talked about how many millions of years of music have been streamed from their site so far. And uh, they also point out that of the 20 million songs that they've got, 4 million, a full 20%, haven't been listened to once. Now, how does this work? Does, do you choose what you want streamed, or do they just curate playlists, and it turns out that 20% of the tracks just never ended up on those playlists? Yes and yes. Oh, great. So 4 million songs have never have been uploaded to Spotify, but have never been heard. Now, a lot of them are going to be from uh, indie bands that nobody knows anything about, but still, 4 million songs is an awful lot of songs to go unlistened to. And uh, I was reading one of my industry blogs. And one of the things that they said is, is, is if I were Spotify, I would have a curated list and I would call it unheard music. And this is stuff that no one has ever heard on the service ever before. And not only should Spotify do this, every other streaming music service should do it. And then that would remove that backlog of unheard songs very, very quickly. I like that idea. I wonder how high quality the playlist would be. I, I don't know. We don't, I mean, four million songs, there's got to be some undiscovered gems in there. There has to be. Meantime, you found a new way uh, to uh, find and curate music courtesy of something called Delhi Radio? Yeah, this is interesting in the sense that Delhi Radio is location-aware, and it streams music from acts that are coming to your town. So it's got nothing to do with baloney? No, it has nothing to do with baloney. Cold cuts? No, no, nothing like that. There's, you don't have to take a number and listen. <laughs> they uh, tap into music or touring databases, find out where you are, and then stream music uh, from artists who will be playing in your area. I think that's pretty cool. It's a different way of looking at things. So Bo, it's, it's also, it's a, it's a music discovery service, and it's also an artist promotion service at the same time. It's like a reverse phone book lookup system. Kind of, yes. You're here. Here's what's around you. Here's what's coming. Get ready. Are you ready for the KISS merchandise?
Yeah, this is uh, Kiss is the most merchandisable band in the world. Uh, there are more than 7,000 items that are branded Kiss. Uh, I've talked to Gene Simmons about this in the past. He has been very clear about it. He will put Kiss logos on anything as long as they're licensed. And uh, I have made plenty of money from that. So do you have a problem with it? Okay, fine. Whatever, Gene. Um, He recently sold a piece of chewing gum. He uh, chewed some gum and uh, auctioned it off, and it went for $247,000. A quarter million dollars for a piece of used Gene Simmons chewing gum? Yes, with his gross DNA on it. However, I should point out, this was a television appearance. This was a charity thing. So whoever ponied up the quarter million dollars, the money went to a good cause and not into Gene's pocket. Well, it's quite possible it went to the guy behind Jurassic Park. Could you imagine an entire island of Gene Simmons? Wow, there aren't enough women in the world. I don't know what that means, because every woman I know would go running in the opposite direction if they saw Gene Simmons. Ask Gene about his Polaroid collection. There are about 4,000 Polaroids. (laughs) Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.